Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Guy Madden, Canadian avant-garde icon, he'll hate that I said that, and director of My Winnipeg, The Saddest Music in the World, and Brand Upon the Brain, and Careful, among others. His most recent feature, The Forbidden Room, directed with Evan Johnson and starring a host of really interesting people, including Matthew Amarik, Geraldine Chaplin, Charlotte Rampling, Karine Vanasse, Ariane Lebed, Paul Gross, and Udo Kier, won the Toronto Film Critics Association Rogers Best Canadian Film Award, a prize that he'd previously won for My Winnipeg in 2008. Guy picked Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, Sam Peckinpah's 1974 blood opera starring Warren Oates as an American pianist who sets out to retrieve the eponymous noggin to collect a million-dollar bounty from a Mexican crime lord and brings his sometime girlfriend Alita, played by Isela Vega, along for the ride. Things do not go well, because this is a Sam Peckinpah movie, and a great deal of blood will be shed before the credits roll. There's more to it than that, of course, and a few really unpleasant layers to dig through on the way to Alfredo's coffin, but I'll let Guy get to that. This is someone else's movie. I've seen the movie maybe five times over many years. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do like it. And I'm only now as a white male, something I can talk about, although it's dangerous territory, but, uh, starting to learn how I always was struck by how I thought it was feminist, but it's a species of feminism by default (laughs) because it's such a scathing attack on patriarchy. It is. But, uh, but we can talk about that. Maybe I'm willing to, sure. sure. Uh, but I'm willing to realize I'll step on a landmine maybe with some people, but, uh, I I don't mean, I don't mean, I, I don't know. It's something I've, you know, if Bunuel, who is a bourgeois (laughs) can attack the bourgeoisie, it's certainly uh, a man can attack men. Yeah. It's a layer of the storytelling that you can't get away from. Yeah. So, um, Okay, well, let's start at the beginning. When did you first see it? So we're just going now? Yeah, it's rolling. I'll cut right in. When did I first see it? I think I slowly became aware. I was 18 in 1974 when Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia came out. Okay. And uh, I think I was only dimly aware of it. I wasn't into movies then. I was kind of a baseball fan and just drowsing my way through my teen years. But I first went to New York in my early 20s and saw that it was playing in some revival house. I just saw, I was already scared of New York. I was just a little Winnipeg boy, quivering little leaf. I weighed about 130 pounds. Well, in 70s New York was not something to be screwed with. It was genuinely um, terrifying to me, it seemed. You know, the, the just the subways being covered with what turns out to be like Keith Herring masterpieces, but they were like, it just seemed oh, so plastered with terrifying vandalism. Um, and Times Square wasn't Rudy Giuliani's Times Square. It was time the taxi driver Times Square. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I, my nerves were jangled. And then I just saw on the marquee of this rep house, bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. And I thought like I half realized I'd heard that title somewhere before, but I thought... Of you know a, a decapitated head with blood dripping from it was yeah. maybe being brought to that theater in any minute now or something and it 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 was only later that I um, that I when I started watching movies in my uh, early twenties that you know I really started to pay attention to what Sam Peckinpah was up to and I saw the film and I, I'd heard some talk that maybe it wasn't so bad or something like that. I think right. Michael Medved way back in those, you know, the hundred worst films yeah. of all time list. turkey put, days. Yeah, had put, had put that movie on there along with many of my other favorite movies <laughs> of all time. And uh, so it was on there, probably just based on the title alone. But um, I'd been, the movie, when I saw the movie, I was knocked out by it for a number of reasons. Mostly because I I hadn't handled heteronormative male jealousy very well as a young man. I'd been really ashamed of... I had some friends that were really cool with it and didn't didn't have troubles. But I I found myself breaking up with people, the few people that would go out with me for crying out loud. I was so (laughs) immature. But 
I, I just found male jealousy to be something I set as a long-term goal to rid myself of. It was really a bad feeling, made me feel ashamed, but it felt pretty genuine. And then just reading, um, reading as much as I did of a, you know, ancient texts, uh, you realize that, you know, there's commandments about jealousy and, uh, that it's, that it's something that's been there a long time, but it's something that civilized people should aspire to. Yeah, it's one of those uh, fundamental building blocks that we're trying to get rid of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I've watched the movie maybe five times, spread out over the last 30 years. And um, I appreciate it more and more. I think now every line of dialogue, every shot, everything is building up Peckinpah's thesis toward this kind of feminism by default. And by that I mean he's just excoriating patriarchy and I guess it's it's hand-holding chum capitalism uh, yeah. so much in the movie. Basically, yeah, it's just a world in which very few women exist and they aren't empowered. Mm. Um, but it's a it's central story. It's a love story between uh, Warren Oates. Warren Oates is Benny, a, just a crummy pianist like in Shoot the Piano Player yeah. or in Detour. We don't know how he ended up, where he is. He's just... Nope. Hasn't, he's not very lucky. He's not very good at anything. No, and he wears sunglasses over his greasy face almost the entire movie, yeah. so you, you can't even see his eyes or you can't even see, you know. But he, he's in love with... Um, uh, it's set down in Mexico. He's in love with a Mexican woman. But they have a kind of, he's, he refuses to commit to loving her. Meanwhile, she cheats on him with Alfredo Garcia. Mm. Um, Alfredo Garcia, meanwhile, has impregnated the teenage daughter of some really wealthy Mexican plutocrat, some patriarch, right. who has just uh, decided that he will get, because this bastard uh, impregnated his daughter, he will offer a $1 million reward for the for his head. Right. And that just sends a bunch of men scrambling for the head, for the money, um, and they will let nothing stand in their way. Um, and to the point where, in this case, they a couple of guys who seem to be fairly corporate types come yeah. into this terrible bar and outsource the job to, yeah. to Benny. To War Notes, yeah. Um, they're played by Gig Young and Robert Weber. And I can special never... guest stars in the credits, which is so strange. It's, I know. It's I, I love those those 70s special guest yeah, stars. The choices credits. of television production, but it's clearly never going to air on any television station. <laughs> <laughs> no. And, uh, yeah, those guys are great. They're so well-groomed, and there's, you know, sort of a post-code homosexuality alluded to. You know, they're, yeah. they're clearly lovers of some sort of psychopathic well-dressed yeah. psychopathic lovers. Well, I thought of the characters in the, the Assassins in Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah. So, right around the same time, too. That would have yeah. been a year before, I think. Right. 71? Yeah. 71. I guess it's something you just, could fault-find, you know. Um, probably the, 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 homo uh, the homosexual psychopath, yeah. <laughs> whatever, which was common. In I, the 70s, yeah. It was a big deal. Um, an easy hook. They were, usually, um, they were usually sporting dyed blonde hair, it seems That's to right. me, too. Uh, well-dressed, dyed blonde hair and, and cold blood. But um, it I don't think it mattered to Peck and Paul whether they were psychopathic homosexuals. I think, it, I think they're being homosexual just played into um, the, the fact that there was just so much money involved that everyone was hopping on, yeah. <laughs> on board this, um, on the, the, the bandwagon to, to, to get this the head of this man. I don't know. I'm not very good at plot synopses. That's enough. That's pretty much it. All, I mean, yeah, there the, really isn't anything else. No, it's pretty simple. And uh, Isla Vega is really lovely. I met her once at the Santa Fe Film Festival. A film festival I don't think exists anymore. It was mm. so poorly attended. There was a, The second time I saw the movie was with her. I was the only person in the audience, and she had introduced the movie, and we oh, sat and watched the movie. Yeah, it was a real treat, though, uh, to talk with her about shooting. It was really wild and crazy because Peck and Paw is wild and crazy mm -hmm. um, and like the movie's companion piece the I don't have the courage to talk about the straw dogs but it's very complicated um, his understanding of yeah. the, of romance and male jealousy and patriarchy but he's definitely again it the same way that the 
comfortably well-off Luis Bunuel, hated, hated, hated the bourgeoisie um, because he understands them. Yeah. I think Peckinpah understands men really well, and he really t- just takes them down in this movie. It starts with this this uh, this Mexican patriarch just slut-shaming his own daughter so much. He has his... Uh, AIDS stri- stripper down. It's it's and beater, it's, it's yeah. not forever for everyone. It's it's horrible, but it's so bracing how he takes. She disappears. She uh, by the end of the movie, she orders her own father murdered. Yeah. Uh, she's just had enough of her father and of patriarchy system. Uh, I guess the story of the movie is how there's some sort of transference that I remember experiencing in my early own jealousy days where. Um, Warren Oates is really jealous of the man, Alfredo Garcia, that slept with the woman he loves. Mm. And then once she's out of the picture, because she dies halfway through the movie, yeah. he kind of becomes the great lover of the head of Alfredo Garcia. Yeah, and they the become pro- lovers. The guardian almost. and protector and yeah. secrets to it. I remember that happening to me early on. I was really confused. It was the first time I'd been in love. And um, I... It was in a crossfade arranged by whoever arranges these things. I slowly realized I was in a triangle and okay. not just in a monogamous relationship. And I became mad with jealousy. I never did anything violent, but I did, th- you know, I did as much psychological, cruel things to my partner as possible. And then she to me, and it was bad. And we broke up eventually. And so once she was out of the picture, this other man became an object of my obsession and I for him as well and we kept on this kind of love-hate thing for many years even though you know you'd think if we were really cool I guess we both had trouble with jealousy um, that just with her gone we could have just moved on with our lives but whenever we saw each other it just seemed to intensify into something almost homosexual it was it was really interesting I remember even while in it being kind of amazed at what was going on is it that um, need for a nemesis, maybe, to define your own identity? I don't know. It does feel like something... Ang- it feels like something from a marshland mating ritual. And, <laughs> and I felt like I should have much better plumage <laughs> than I do. And I, that I should be doing something really vicious or entomological or something. But I am aware of of these horrible feeling instincts. And I am always trying to stay on top of them. And, I, and just when I... Th- think I've conquered them and I'm congratulating myself for them and then I realize maybe it's just because I'm 60 years old now that maybe forces have died down but then no they they do rise up again still every now and then and I guess there's some people that just feel them till the day they die Um, the old patriarch in 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 bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia um, feels really culturally intensely uh, you know slut-shamingly patriarchal and it's unrepentant and it's just the way it is it's the code and we all certainly suspect there's cultures like well there are cultures like that let's face it and Mm -hmm. i think a lot of women listening would say the this culture we're living in now is still like that so well when you say like the the minute a minute ago you said these things don't necessarily die down as you get older and donald trump is talking about his penis in a presidential debate and uh, just today is still trying to bring the full force of whatever power he wields down on Vanity Fair because they didn't like his restaurant. Like, oh, just, I didn't realize that. Was on, that was his tweet this morning. And we're talking yeah. about it. So One of the sad things about living uh, as long as I have now, and I hope I live a lot longer, yeah. but, you know, growing up in the 60s and 70s, there was just such a strong grassroots anti-war movement that it just, I really did believe, sappy optimist that I was as an adolescent, that the end of all wars... Was, you know, at least America wouldn't get in any anymore after Vietnam, and that it was just a matter of America helping the rest of the world see the error of their ways. And pretty soon, maybe by the time I died, there wouldn't be any more wars yeah. or anything. But these things become cyclical events. I made this movie way back in 1990, Archangel, that I intended to be um, a pro-war kind of satire on old like bellicose feelings oh, right. that people used to have and that were long dormant and I just thought it would be kind of charming to make this movie that kind of incited war clearly in, a, in an age when it was just so perverse that it was just obvious to everyone strangely by the time I finished the movie um, Persian Gulf 1 
the first Bush, yeah. had um, launched into it, and he had a 92% approval rating by the time my movie opened, and I suddenly found myself having to talk about how, how um, I never expected <laughs> this anti-war feeling to be a cyclical thing, yeah. and with, and of course, it's come back again and then again and now with the latest election in America it's another weird cycle and I guess and then you realize in the grand picture of things everything's cyclical and so don't get too smug anyone about uh, li little liberal progress yeah. <laughs> um, baby steps or big steps we've taken because they have to be vigilantly protected forever yeah and um forever yeah. kate has uh, said the exact same thing a couple of days after the election she said that uh there's there are entire generations and we're i guess we're one of them we're in our late 40s but there are entire generations that have never really understood that you'd have to fight for this thing again it would it would never seem necessary. doesn't stop yeah, yeah. But there's always someone trying to take it away, whatever yeah. it is. I mean, in this case, it was civil rights and women's rights and uh, reproductive rights, and and now it's the concept of democracy. We just we've it's been escalating so slowly, building, and now all of a sudden everything is up in the air again. Everything is at stake and up for grabs. Yeah, the summer of 2016 was full of all the um, all those th those incidents of police violence, unprovoked police violence, yeah, yeah. which. We're reminding almost everyone of the summer of 1968, and so it was coming full cycle, but at least it was being addressed in the media full bore, I guess because it was profitable to the media. Yeah. Uh, but clicks, at, least, at least it seemed to be generating a lot of pushback this time at the grassroots or yeah. at the social media level. And, and so it felt like a kind of progress might come out of it that this time after a tragic backslide that maybe everyone would be in a better position after the nightmare was over but then the election happened yeah. and it, now it's just there's not going to be any social programs funded or any it's just forget it yeah. so the backslide is considerable yeah we're and maybe irreparable for all we know i yeah. don't know it's it, I, I thought for a while trump would just be surrounded I, I, here we are you might have to edit all this out I don't no know, no it's all valid well i i guess it is valid i'll tie i'll tie it back into oh, I the movie too, yeah. because um <clears throat> because here we have the full the full trump mm. yeah no um, i mean alfredo garcia if if it came out of how did someone put it there, he, somebody said there are going to be fantastic documentaries and, and angry art coming out of this era. Yeah. Because just as with Vietnam, it produces right. all of this chaos. And Peckinpah's films in the 70s especially seem to be expressions of this unbelievable nihilism. Yeah. And that ultimately embrace it. That, that fatalism that says there's no way out. That we will never win. It's almost like embracing it... Um so that you can drown it yeah. or smother it or something. It does feel like he means well to me. And and I I, yeah. I don't want to be one of those stuttering defenders of of someone who's who's hurt somebody by by exposing themselves to you know, if if you watch a Sam Peckinpah movie and you feel offended or anything, I'm not going to stammer out a, yeah, a no, defense. They're ugly and, films. And they're... here I am, um a white middle-aged male middle class uh, just sickeningly saturated with privilege but so I'm not going to tell listeners this is a feminist movie I called it feminist by default just because it's yeah. it's a savage attack on on the yes. way things are yeah and uh, I, f I find it bracing it's I guess in a masochistic way just to have my own faults pointed out to me so smartly so mm -hmm. viciously so definitively and i think that's a step in the right direction i don't know it helps if, if it helps make you make a tiny little step towards self-knowledge and uh and so i i and plus i'm obnoxiously there's still well there's something fascist in in the payback, I recently watched Don Siegel's movie, The Lineup, and was reminded of Don Siegel's uh, Dirty Harry movies, mm -hmm. which are very, you know, fascistic and yeah. libertarian. And there's, you know, where Clint gets to be, um, you know, 
justice incarnate yeah. and executioner. And they they are everything. like the first Dirty Harry basically is the Trump doctrine. I alone can solve. Like, yeah, it's the one man who knows what to do in a system that won't let him. It's kind of funny. I wonder if I've often wondered if liberal mo- movie viewers become fascists while they're watching that kind of movies, <laughs> and then when they you know brush the popcorn off their sweater on the way out, they're yeah. back to being liberal and empathetic again but while they're watching the movie they're allowed these more bestial urges because what that's you know one definition of uh fascism is that you just like wasn't the latin root to to do or to make you're just doing it now you're just following your impulses you know no uh civilized intermediary you're just making my day yeah that's, <laughs> and, uh, I mean, you can you can cheer and you know it's not real so you can embrace the catharsis of, of yeah. fantasy the problem is and, and Jean Grey and I talked about this with Fight Club when you come out of the movie thinking oh that's a manifesto that's the way it should be mm-hmm. and you see that movement 25 years later or 15 years later you see that movement 15 years later suddenly coalescing into political support uh, and and, yeah. and for an idea that is Incoherent. Um, Peckinpah's movies are weirdly coherently incoherent, which is what yeah. I keep coming back to. Watching Alfredo Garcia again after you picked it, I thought, yeah, this is exactly what I remember. This is sweaty, angry, uh, miserable. There are no good men at all. There are no... Right. Nobody deserves to be saved or redeemed. <laughs> and the only redemption is more violence. Yeah. And it's almost like, you know, the um, the only way they'll be equal pay for anyone in the world and and proper human rights is if we have a couple of thermonuclear wars yeah. first. Yeah. And so he seems to be supplying the thermonuclear war. It's not literally in there, but it is just a well it's just a sort of a it's it's a revolution. Yeah. Does it's America even exist in this world? It might as well be a Mad Max film. I mean there's the just... uh, Alfredo Garcia will not be embraced um by Trump because it's set in and stars That's mostly true. Mexicans. Yeah. Um and uh, I, what little reading I've done on it, I've done virtually none, but I, I've read that Peckinpah said this was his Mexico. You know, he loved it there, but he said this is realistic. Right. Now, obviously, um, a movie with that kind of body count, I forget how many people die. Oh, it's 20, 21 or 45 least, yeah. or something like that. They start going by the, by the dozen by the end. But um, the last shot in the movie is just a smoking... Might as well be a phallus. Yeah. It's just uh, the, the end of the barrel of a gun that's just mutely pumping out. Seemingly, the soundtrack's gone mute, and, and it's just in slow motion, just yeah. ejaculating one bullet after another into Warren Oates' body because he dared defy the system. He, his big revelation is that all these people had to die just because you were, just because some patriarch's yeah. daughter was impregnated. And you don't even want the head you just paid a million dollars for. You want me just to throw it to the dogs. Yeah. And and all this is just market forces and phallic pride. And um, now, I, so I'm ill-equipped to conduct a really elegant socio-political conversation yeah. about this. But there's just details in the movie, too, that, sure. are, that are just so beautiful. And we haven't even talked about Warren Oates yeah, yet. It's, it's... And I wish I knew more about his filmography... I know a bit about it. I watched uh, a whole bunch of clips a couple summers ago of him on um, his TV work, mm-hmm. and um, and I guess I've seen him in um, I guess I've seen him in Two Lane Blacktop, right? And uh, Cockfighter. Yeah, I've caught up to all of those subsequently, but I'm a little younger, and the first thing I saw him in was probably Blue Thunder. Oh, I haven't seen that. Where he's the grizzled, um, he's the grizzled police captain. Basically, he died before it was released, but he shot oh, it, so okay. it's all there. There's a performance, but there's like there was clearly an attempt in in the making of the film to reorient something in the second act, and he wasn't available for it, so they tried to work around it. And there's this strange war notes shaped hole in that one. because of his death. Yeah, he just wasn't there oh, for reasons. Didn't realize he he finished he it. It's dedicated middle. to him. I see. Um, but when they went back to fix something, clearly he wasn't around. And he just had a heart attack or something. Yeah, he just keeled over. I mean, yeah. the man was... That, that was the thing that stunned me about looking at his work. He's never been young. He was always a grizzled old, like a middle-aged guy. And yet he, he died at, at a relatively young, like yeah. 52 yeah, or something like that. And it's shocking to me that... But yeah, no, he never looked young. And yeah. he's just one of those guys that came... You know, his, his high school photos looked the same. Yeah. And, 
people lived harder then, I think. But yeah, I know it specifically must have. <laughs> yeah, I guess he would have been around my dad's age or something like that. But yeah, it was um, yeah, it's just smoking. Yeah. Smoking and uh, not talking about your troubles. That's true. Swallowing everything. We all, let's face it, all of us sissy <laughs> sissy boys from uh, the, the, the children and grandchildren of the great generation. Right. We uh, talk, we'll talk each other's heads off yeah, about course. our feelings and everything. But that, that generation kept it in and corked it with a lit cigarette yeah. <laughs> and just what waited to, to die when the when the time came at about age 52 or so yeah. you know yeah but he is terrific in this I and mean, he's just he's the guide cast he's he is he's so good at i mean even giving nothing there's a, a movie called the Iceman where michael shannon plays a a guy who claimed to have killed dozens and dozens of people and and his entire performance is a brick wall of giving nothing back to his co-stars. Right. And it's fascinating. It's also... And entirely... how do you make that work? Yeah. It's, it's not... I've made movies where... Now, luckily, I've never really relied on performance so much in these assemblies I put out, whatever right. the hell they are. But uh, I had a movie once where it really did need a performance from a lead actor, and it, I didn't get it. <laughs> and... and it was like I would have done better with a cardboard cutout. Really, it was the and same kind of situation. Just yeah, but but it didn't work. But then maybe the the script wasn't mm-hmm. up to having that kind of implacable center. Right. But I do know that from a little bit of experience and a lot of watching experience, a little bit of personal experience making it, that that is probably the hardest thing to pull off. Yeah. Um, as a scriptwriter, director, and star. To have that kind of implacability, yeah. impassivity at the center, and, Oates and still carry the picture. Yeah. And Oates isn't fully passive. I mean, he's not no. passive at all. But he, but just, he does have dark shades he on. Shuts down ninety percent of the time, he's, if not more. Yeah, he's his eyes look weird. They look like exposed rectums or something. Yeah. And his glasses come off. You feel like you shouldn't be looking at yeah. them. And and there's a weird vulnerability there that that's really un. Yeah, comfortable. I think the longest he goes without glasses is is the scene where he's crawling out of a grave and discovering that his, his right. the love of his life is dead. Yeah, and you sh- yeah you shouldn't see it. We shouldn't be looking at that. It's too private and too personal. And it's like there's there's grave dirt in his mouth, and he's he's yeah. miserable and slicked with with either tears or whatever endocrine stuff is pumping out of him it's just he's got all the ducts pumping yeah it's a grief and rage and vengeance and um and everything and it's um it's like 70 minutes into the picture and that's the last emotion you see from him yeah he you know the movie has a tenderness that's that's the love story between him and isola vega Mm -hmm. is is really beautiful that he has gotten past the jealousy for the most part you know he's um, he's been cheated on, um, as as his lover says. She just had to say goodbye to an old boyfriend, Alfredo Garcia, yeah. and and he said uh, for a week yeah. or something like that. And she, well, it took a while to say goodbye, you know. And um, but he they later sort of just relax underneath a tree and have a little romantic moment. And I, I'm envious of his ability to get past, you know, when I first saw it, right. I remember thinking, man, I held a grudge a lot longer than, <laughs> than that, um, over this ridiculous thing, you know, just, um, you know, monogamy is broken, it's, it's, you know, like, and it's got its problems, put it that way. Uh, and, but it's what it, almost everyone defaults to in in this nature theater sure yeah, which society. we conduct our melodramas but this but, this uh, interlude is immediately interrupted by i don't know chris christopherson and friend coming in as though they were uh, extras from easy rider who were never yeah and chris christopherson is so good in that movie and he um yeah he just plays a, a guy that just ratchets up one increment at a time the yeah. sinister until it becomes apparent he's a rapist and that he intends to rape Isla Vega and that there's nothing because he's got a gun (laughs) nothing that Warren Oates can do about it and then that's when Peckinpah does what he does so well Mm -hmm. problematically but he as a because he does it in Straw Dogs too yep very much he makes you as a viewer identify both with uh, the woman 
and with the man and with the and with the woman's lover mm-hmm. so that you're jealous you're aroused you're angry you're outraged you're violated yeah. you're aroused in a kind of a feral way and you're even jealous of the woman somehow cuz you feel like I don't know. It's a weird thing to admit, but you almost, in a movie fantasy way, you almost wish you were her too. Okay. Uh, In a weird way, because it's for those. I know I'm speaking for myself. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to explain the exact dynamics of it for people who haven't seen these scenes. In Straw Dogs and in Alfredo Garcia, there are effectively rape sequences. Yeah, there are rape scenes uh, in which the woman who they're both. they're both aborted yeah, before completion. Uh, but in both scene, in both sequences, it is not just implied, but pretty much demonstrated that the female victim is starting to get into it in both of them, and it's really yeah, maybe in the in the case of much Alfredo Garcia, there's a very st- strong incentive for sure, her to play along, go along with yeah. it just to survive, and that's very plausible. But it's ambiguous enough to Warren Oates, who witnesses it, that he, that it inflames his, um, his rage yeah. to homicidal dimensions. Now it all seems fair, and he would actually, um, uh, if there's such thing as a fair court of law, yeah. would have cleared him and sure, it's everything because homicide from justifiable homicide for sure. He's killing a no good rapist yeah. scum. And but right up until that point, for Isela Vega. Oates is okay with it too. Like he's willing to just get this over with, so they leave, which is yeah. bizarre and and sort of cavemany in a strange way. It's just he knows he's been bested. He knows he's outgunned. He's just going to sit there and take it, and so is she. Yeah, he's not thrilled, but yeah. um, but uh, there's there's but no sitting it out. Yeah, you know? yeah. There's no larger complexity to it. That's what's happening. Yeah, and that's the reality of the film, and it's this whole weird thing about like almost Cro-Magnon law where it's about domination and conquering for the men, and the women really don't have a say in it. They're no. the prize. And once they've been handed off, and in Straw Dogs it's even stranger because Susan George is being raped by her ex-boyfriend. And yeah. so she, it, is, it is not implied. Again, it's clearly suggested and, and depicted as her starting to remember what she loved about that relationship, which is... Yeah, something. Yeah. yeah, something more barbaric or something. Yeah, and and at that point, your um, Peck and Paw and protagonist kind of become the same person, and you realize he's drawing on. Um, uh, you realize, well, you don't have to be a filmmaker or a screenwriter or whatever to, to feel this, but I know from trying to get my own, from trying to deal with my own feelings in the past and trying to get them into scripts, how tough it is. Uh, I don't know. I've never been much of a screenwriter, anyway. But it's, but I, I can see that Peckinpah is doing that because he's, he's putting his own past feelings, maybe mm-hmm. feelings he's ashamed of, maybe just feelings, he just feels everyone has. I don't know. But yeah. I, I feel he's being honest yeah, in those scenes. They're hideous and uncomfortable scenes, and it's uh, not a great date picture. <laughs> but I think I think they're honest. Literarily honest. They're yeah. as honest as anything ever written. They're too and, uh, and they're to just be. not pretty. And um, yeah, but they make the films extremely hard to defend now as artifacts, as art from a different yeah. era. It's just and you know people who. But I think it's it's easier to defend them than although I swore I didn't want to become a stammering defender <laughs> of things that make people uncomfortable, but. But say then say it's not like blackface yeah, or anything no, like that. These are timeless dynamics that have ha- that happen um, yeah. in all cultures. It's offensive because it's so deeply felt. I think because yeah. you can't look like you're basically locked in the space with them and you can't look away. And those are always the most intense experiences cinematically. And the ugliness of the uh, folding in sexual assault and complicity, both the complicity of the woman being assaulted and the complicity of the man letting it happen. Yeah. Um, even though he has no options. That's 
so weird and and twisting and you can just feel your intestines being reorganized while you're watching it because yeah. you need to have a position and i don't know if you've seen nocturnal animals tom ford's film i haven't yet no. but it very badly wants to be a peck and paw movie oh really doesn't know how to do it his, yeah his aesthetic is just so completely divorced from it and the women are simply objects that he can't do it right but nocturnal animals puts into focus what Peckinpah is doing, which makes right. it more, like, I can explain All it better. more impressive. Yeah, with that other thing as an example of how it doesn't work. Right. So, you can't, I can't None of this seems them. to be convincing anyone to run out and go watch Fredo Garcia, but it's, yeah. no, it's, it's amazingly, bracingly honest about everything ugly. It's cathartic mm-hmm. in all the wrong yeah, <laughs> ways. Really is, but that's what cinema's for, right? I mean, it's, yeah. I don't believe that this ever happened to Sam Peckinpah or any of these things were things that he went out and did on the cover of Darkness. He was, no, no, no. I mean, he was much more of a coke guy. Maybe he did, but probably not. But but no, he's just found the storytelling equivalence yeah. to emotions he's he's felt and that we've all felt, if we're honest. Yeah, this is his outlet. And, it's, yeah. and, you know, you see people making movies after this the things that came out of the Peck and Paw way of like Scorsese, mm-hmm. whose orgies of violence were always driven by guilt and very specifically rigged, you know, the end of Taxi Driver and, and, yeah. um, and you know, I, Raging I, Bull. Maybe people will be annoyed to hear me say this, but I've always preferred um, Peck, the Peck and Paw, the Alfredo Garcia to Taxi Driver. Really? Yeah. For some reason... The, maybe you can explain it to me I'm and we'll curious. have a special yeah. uh, taxi driver sidebar for a second. <laughs> These things happen. But uh, for me, the violence at the end is just a thematic inevitability of uh, at the end of Alfredo Garcia. It's mm-hmm. just a bunch of men doing crazy man things and this is where it's going. Right. It's, and this is where it'll go every time is what Peckinpah seems to be saying. And, and, and taxi driver, geez, it... It seems... I just watched The Fan the other day for uh, the Robert De Niro basically oh, reprising Travis Bickle yeah. as a baseball fan, obsess- an nice. obsessive yeah. baseball fan. Uh, and it, it is just like um, a, a slightly softer Travis Bickle. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I, I, to me, it doesn't seem to come out of the whole... It, it seems more like a, a partially media satire, which always lessens psychological truth for me a mm. little bit. Although... After the recent election, yeah, is it even possible? Media satire has been elevated to <laughs> the only art form now, as far as I'm concerned. But um, no, I just for some reason it just seems to come right out of out of the the rewirable soul. I think we have, but we've just been living for the last five thousand years mostly in a in a capitalistic style patriarchy, and and it it just. Whereas, um, I guess I can't remember Taxi Driver well enough to know if it, if that violence at the end is anything more than just a psychopathic splooge. Yeah, I think that's what it is. It's, a, it's, a, it's the break that's coming the entire film, much, much as Alfredo Garcia is also yeah. about inevitability. But what fascinates me about both films together is that they're both about incredible violence being directed in what appears to be a good cause. Yeah. And in neither case, it's not really defensible. A lot of people are being murdered just because in right. Alfredo Garcia. And in Taxi Driver, it's about a man who's obsessed with rescuing a girl. Right. Which then becomes misinterpreted as an act of heroism. But that's yeah. not even in the film. That's just the, the coda. And his wanting to rescue her is misguided. So, mm-hmm. You know, that's complicated. You're right. It's, it's okay. Yeah. It's but the level right. of violence, I think, is something that Peckinpah paved the way for. And you, you just made me realize that, like a lot of film noirs, there's that tipping point where the protagonist just makes a, a tiny little wrong decision yeah. and, and then spends the rest of the movie sliding straight into an open grave with yeah. his name already on the head marker. Um, I guess, like Shoot the Piano Player and Detour mm. with the pianist yeah, yeah. at the beginning, like uh, Warren Oates' Benny... Um, he makes a decision to get the head of the man who... He has his own reason for getting the head of the man who slept with the patriarch's daughter. Yeah. He, he also slept with his girlfriend. Yeah. And so he's making a wrong step. He's overreacting. He, um, and, of course, the, the classic noir thing, too. It's an easy money. It looks like yeah. easy money. It's all you have to do is dig up a guy and get his head. Yeah, see, everyone else is out to murder Alfredo Garcia mm-hmm. and bring back his head, but he alone knows 
that Alfredo Garcia has already died in a car accident. Yeah. And so all he has to do is go to his grave, dig it up, take the head, no murder, no crime, no foul, mm-hmm. and just get the money. But he's bought into the system, and that's his mistake, and he deserves to die for it. Yeah. But he at least goes down and a, a martyr. Uh, yeah. So he, he goes, he's a martyr to some something other than the system. Yeah, and uh, but he doesn't know what it is. He just knows it's all wrong. He's just yeah. decided at the end. Does Travis Bickle know everything is all wrong? See, at that's the end? it, right? I was going to say in he, the, uh, the most way, he can do is kill a pimp. I he guess. kills the pimp and maybe goes after. And, well, he goes after Palantine. He goes after a right. politician. But does he decide but that that's all wrong? That's it's just, just it's just because Sybil Shepherd is working yeah, for it's just random for him. I think point. it's a little more of a psychopathic splooge there, yeah, just it's, frustration. It's tumblers dropping rather than a plan forming. Yeah, yeah. But with Alfredo Garcia, he also saves a young woman. He just doesn't know he's doing it. Like, it's completely... Then right. he doesn't even know this girl exists. Right. The daughter. Yeah. And then in the end, eh, solves a problem for her. <laughs> it's, it's really strange and tragic. Like, to her, he is the savior. He is the guy who came yeah. out of nowhere and saved her from her monster's father. But it was so incidental to his mission. I'm sure, you know, Paul Schrader wrote the script for Taxi Driver before Sam Peckinpah wrote the script to Alfredo oh, yeah. Garcia, I believe. Probably. But But the... F- but Taxi Driver came a year later. I'm sure they don't influence each other at all, mm-hmm. but there are these little rhymes. Yeah. And I, I wonder if Marty loved Alfredo Garcia. He must have. I'm sure. He's such a he's formally a... strong filmmaker. Yeah. I don't warm to him that much. I wouldn't warm to my own films, by the way, <laughs> I have to say. Uh, they're just missing that spark of life. that I w- And I wish his films had a spark other than the kind of vicarious boy thrill yeah. that I find myself enjoying while watching it. but then on the way out I just feel like um, I just feel like watching a Brisson movie or a drier picture take a look at Silence um, right it's a movie he's been trying to make it for decades but yeah. it now feels like a film made by a religious man who's watching his friends die and starting yeah. to wonder and it's really it's easily the most mature thing he's done okay it's really well yeah it's, it's interesting you talk about mature uh, when you're speaking of a 75 year old man but yeah still but his, childish yeah he's making teenager movies and I love them um, yeah. but you know there's a very simplistic moral view in a lot of his films to the point where you know like The Departed which finally won him the Oscar he'd been yeah. chasing for so long is really just cops and robbers and yeah they're like big budget B movies yeah and but that's fine I love fun. I love B movies I like uh, nothing better than a movie with William Talman in it or something <laughs> or uh, Charlie McGraw you know armored car robbery or something I could go on forever about my favorite you know 1950s B movies because there's no pressure for them to be about anything yeah and sometimes they end up being about something either by accident or by the screenwriter is up to something right and and the and the director's a smart hack and and the things are over in 65 minutes yeah. and they are low budget and you love it you you know that they can only afford shadows and not big sets um the lineup by don siegel which i watched the other day uh uh, set in San Francisco, the guy just yeah, you squeezed every last drop of San Francisco out of that thing. I'm not the familiar aquarium with the film is, at all. So. It's beautiful. It's Eli Wall- Eli Wallach made the film a year after Baby Doll, maybe, which was his first film, I believe. Okay. And he's the star, and he plays a kind of a hitman. So he's a psychopathic hitman. But and then Robert Keith, who's Brian Keith's father. I don't know. These are all we're talking. We're talking these B movies. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So the stars are all. The actors in them are all people you have to be a real movie nerd to know. And I had to look them up. But Robert Keith I recognized as the father, the Hadley patriarch in Written on the Wind. The guy who dies of a heart attack on the stairway while Dorothy Malone is dancing her dad to death. Um, He, um, I don't know, it's just got faces like that. And and it's really lean and it's just shot in beautiful locations and really great shots. And and you know it it doesn't cost any more money to just frame the camera solidly and have a good solid vocabulary. Yeah. Now, as Siegel did evolve into a Clint Eastwood <laughs> fascist, yeah, but uh, but I had a lot of fun watching those when I was a teenage boy. And um, most teenage boys are fascists without identifying as them, you know. But um, at least when they're sitting in a movie theater, yeah, you just don't even know what it is. Yeah, you don't know what it is, and you don't know any better. You're ignorant, and 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 besides, most teenage boys then leave it all in the theater and yeah. go home and help help a little old lady across the street or something kiss their mom hello when they get home and stuff but um i don't know those are those are bracing 
experiences. I'm not sure why I'm even talking about it now, other than that, well, it's Scorsese's movies sort of often strike me as, as well, uh, he loves those movies too. He loves them, you know, uh, and and so when he makes them, he he gets lots of money to to make what are often yeah. like the biggest movie version of that thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Silence is really interesting. I, th- I think I will. I will I check it out. I haven't seen his more spiritual pictures. I haven't mm-hmm. seen Seven Years in Tibet. Or oh, that was like his. No, you think of Kundin, the other one. Oh, Kundin, uh, which, right. Which is who did Seven Years in Tibet? Oh, uh, oh, whatever. Sean you please cut Jacques. this out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was the guy who made Kundin. Uh, you're right, though. The bear. Yeah, Kundin's yeah. here somewhere. Kundin's been suppressed by Disney because they don't want to offend Taiwan by releasing it. So I actually, ironically, have the uh, Hong Kong Blu-ray. It's the only one in existence. That's strange. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's Keyhole. They're next to each other, actually. It's oh, a sign. Oh, sweet. Oh. In the case. Poor Keyhole. I feel like I haven't celebrated the movie enough. Yeah. I've just been talking about, like, a like my own grade D brand of, you know, my, my own wrestling to understand. Okay. To empathize with with women in pictures. You know, I've... So what would you celebrate in this case? Specifically, I mean, is it the... I'm not even going to leave you. What What is it that you would... If if you were trying to get someone interested in the, seeing the film for the first time, where would you go? Yeah, that's that's better. Rather than rather than def- starting out by defending it, you know, yeah. it isn't yeah. it isn't sexist. Yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but not not as bad as you think. Yeah, yeah. you know, no, well, I, I, I guess reputation I, is such that. I guess I would just describe it as a totally immersive experience mm-hmm. in some sort of Mexican fantasia, although I doubt it exoticizes it, which is, of course, an insensitivity. Um, I, it's got a world that you immediately understand. It's that world that used to scare me when I was a child and I'd watch gangster um, movies or, or The Untouchables on television, just a world where you can't trust anybody. Yeah. But it mostly takes place in broad daylight, you feel the flies buzzing around you at all Damn. times. You can feel the cars are as beat up as its star, as its unlikely star, Warren Oates, is as he's yeah. beat up both as uh, the character and as seemingly as the human being, Warren Oates. Um, he's seen some stuff. Everything is everything is wind blown, parched, fly blown, um, addled with um, roosters and. Um, mariachi music and um, meaningless death and um, I guess it's a parched sun parched noir (laughs) of some sort Um, and that takes you like Bunuel surprisingly Mm -hmm. I I find Bunuel and Peckinpah uh, to be kissing cousins takes you into the heart of human jealousy and 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 therefore by default love yeah. as well. Well not always by default. Some some mean hearted movies are just full of jealousy and rage. But this one has a heart. This one really has a heart and it's a surprising heart and so it's all the more uh wonderful when you discover it at its center. And and I think that's that's you remember that heart by the end of the movie. And that's where I that's at the end of Taxi Driver, I'm not remembering any mm. heart. I'm yeah, just, well, there's just blood everywhere. <laughs> Alfredo Garcia is a tragedy. Taxi Driver is a character that's a psychological thriller. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. And so, this brings us to the final question. And I'm dying to find out how you answer it, which is how or what of Alfredo Garcia has infiltrated your own DNA? What have you borrowed, begged, stolen from? Peckinpah. Oh, that's interesting. In the course of your work. Yeah. Well, I couldn't. I'm not the crafts person to to borrow much that, that anyone would ever catch me yeah. on. I think it's because he was all he had already done so well stuff that I was already trying to identify. Mm-hmm. Um, in my first movie, Tales from the Gimli Hospital, which I'm not recommending anyone to watch, but <laughs> I, I made that about a kind of male jealousy. After that, I, became, I moved on to other things, but I would I would say that I caught up with the movie um, maybe the second time is when I realized that I'd already been I don't know it it, it just it, that movie and I and my first movie were all pointed in the same direction. Yeah, we weren't the same things, but we were all 
that was sort of my chief uh, uh, contending somehow, whatever that meant. I had no idea how, because it's no small feat, but contending with my own jealousy and my own way of, in other words, of, of, of handling myself in uh, supposedly mature relationships. Yeah. Um, uh, was at the top of my to-do list, fixing, right. <laughs> fixing what I continually do wrong uh, with my heart. And that movie seemed obsessed with it, saturated every last drop of blood yeah. <laughs> that beats in that movie and, uh, or dribbles out, uh, yes. is, cons- is concerned with that. And I, f- and I find that something that will sadly probably never go away when you hear of people being stoned for adultery mm. or, or just murdered out of jealous rage or, um, or just the amount of agony people cause each other. Yeah. We're, we're basically insects, the, you know, the entomological savagery of, yes. <laughs> of insects insect mating, yeah. you know, with heads being snipped off at the height of passion and things like that. It's just, uh, and, but we're supposed to be civilized. Mm. So we're supposed to just grab that. Yeah. So is Peckinpah your lighthouse, your clarifier? He's lighting the way to a better understanding, or he's a lighthouse, but it's not like I want to be like I'll keep swimming past the lighthouse. Right. Yes, it's a lighthouse that's I, on fire. Yeah, <laughs> that lighthouse. It's, it turns out to be on fire, and, and I'll. Do, but thanks, thanks for illuminating the way. I'll keep swimming, and I see the shore now. You know. So yeah, that's it. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. My thanks to Guy Madden whose latest feature film, The Forbidden Room, is available in a pretty nifty Blu-ray edition from Mongrel Media in Canada and Kino Lorber in the U.S. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. Guy is not on Twitter, but you can follow him in spirit with The Forbidden Room's account, at Forbidden Room, all one word, and you can find Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia on DVD from MGM Home Entertainment and in Blu-ray special editions from Twilight Time in North America and Arrow in the U.K. The U.K. edition just came out, and it's loaded, so if you get the chance, you should snap one up. Strangely, the film does not appear to be currently available on iTunes or Google Play, which is weird. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you want to leave a review on iTunes, that would be very kind of you. Maybe, um, don't talk about severed heads, it weirds people out. Thanks for listening.